the hold of Mesco. Good snap, good hold. And the kick is blocked. Appalachian State has stunned the college football world. One of the greatest upsets in sports history. The pitch. Swing a long one. We are going to game number seven. A game-winning home run. Pino steps into it. Pass is Welcome to The Score. Here's your host, Brett Wiseman. Welcome to a Friday edition of The Score here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Next week, as in a week from today, we make our debut on WWBG 1470 AM. This is our final TGIF episode that's online only. Um, not that we're you know not happy to do that. Um, Bobby Wagner, um, he just ran by me. I was petrified for my life. But then again, I didn't have a pink flare in my hand, so I was I was spared. Um, Josh, I'm sure you'd like to hire Bobby Wagner maybe to hit somebody else. Name Rule with a pink slip, like right in the face. Yeah, sound about right. Possibly. Possibly. Considering it. Just when we thought there was hope for the Carolina Panthers, just when we thought there was hope, there was some some beacon of light. It's not only gone. Someone took the beacon of light, crushed the light bulb, smashed it on the ground, stomped on it, and then took a sledgehammer and beat it further into the ground and then spit on it. And then ran over it with her car. Correct. Let me read you all some statistics for this Panthers offense four games into the season. 262 yards per game as an offense. Ranks last in the NFL. 166 passing yards per game. 30th in the NFL. Baker Mayfield has the lowest QBR in the NFL with a 15.3. Yes, that is lowest. 32nd in the NFL. That is putrid. Like, I have to hold my nose. That's incredibly putrid. Like, after, after a decent game against Cleveland in the opening week, uh, he throws for a 48% and less than 150 yards against the Giants. In the win against New Orleans, he throws again for 48% completion percentage. Uh, 170 yards. And then this past Sunday against the Cardinals, uh, threw for 197 yards and threw two picks along with a touchdown. Brett, I am fuming. And you should be. With this Panthers team right now. I am fuming. This is not... Honestly, I'd be concerned if you and every other Panthers fan was not incredibly PO'd right now. What makes me upset is that the defense is playing well. They've had Frankie Louvu with the pick six to start the game. That got, was the, the offense got spotted seven points. 
Frank Luva's pick six was the fourth turnover or fourth first forced turnover by this Panthers defense in the last two games. Brian Burns has three sacks. J.C. Horn and Derek Brown both have an interception. Frankie Luva, as we mentioned, had a pick six on Sunday against the Cardinals. This defense under Phil Snow is playing well. And see, that's that's the frustrating part is, you know, you get spotted those seven points and then the wheels just fall off the wagon. The defense is doing every bit of their part and the offense is just poo-pooing on everything they do. Well, and again, the offensive line, one of the most um, top priorities going into last offseason for this team, it's gotten better. Right. You get Iki Aquanu at left tackle. He has gotten better over the last he has. Few weeks, ever since right. allowing two sacks on Baker Mayfield uh, for Miles Garrett. He's got again. It was Miles Garrett, so he, he, we knew he was going to be fine. You've got the best running, arguably the best running back in the league on your team. You've got one of the most underrated wide receiving cores on your team, and this offense has what it takes to succeed. It's the quarterback position that is not producing the numbers that it should be. Baker Mayfield is not playing well right now, and it's showing because the entire offense is being affected by his play right now. 15.3 QBR, lowest in the NFL, that's not going to affect that's not just going to affect him, that's going to affect the rest of the team, the rest of the offense. And I think you're seeing that more than anything else. It's affecting Christian McCaffrey. It's not only if it's it's affecting his effectiveness for redundancy purposes uh, in the passing game. You know, he, he's going to get his touches out of the backfield on handoffs, but um, he's just as effective, if not more so, in the passing game because of his ability to get outside and make people miss. And if Baker Mayfield can't throw a slip screen to him without throwing it at his ankles, you know, because, you know, Baker has been throwing Bull Durham passes. He's hit Sir Purr three times trying to throw it to LaVishka Sinault. I mean, we talked about Sam Darnold overthrowing people or Teddy Bridgewater underthrowing people. Baker Mayfield, at this point, accuracy-wise, isn't even close. He's not even in the same area code. He's throwing to the 919, not the 704. It's extremely excruciating to watch because of the fact, again, Baker Mayfield, people forget, this guy was drafted number one overall in 2018. People forget this guy won a Heisman Trophy. And a Heisman Trophy winner, 2018. Look it up. Number one overall pick. And this this is not how a number one overall pick should be playing right now. Absolutely not. Sure, it's his fifth offensive scheme that he's had to learn over the last five years. I'll give him that. That If that were me in that position, I would be frustrated that I'm not clicking with that. But again, there are expectations coming with you as a number one overall pick in the NFL draft. And if you're not producing and if you're not performing to that title, there's something wrong. And you and there's be an, hurting. There's you know? an ex there's an expectation that when you are brought to a team to revamp the culture of a position, which for the past three years has been a culture of game manager mediocrity. 
to put it mildly. You've come to revamp a position and revitalize a passing game that has been dead and dormant since 2019. You're doing the exact opposite. And when you're brought to a team to do those kinds of things, does it create a level of pressure? Yes. But you don't go out and acquire a former number one overall pick for, you know, forts and giggles. You go out and acquire a former number one overall pick to lead your franchise. This is not the same Baker Mayfield that led the Cleveland Browns back to the playoffs and beat Pittsburgh in a, in a road playoff game. This is not the same Baker Mayfield from Oklahoma. I don't know who this Baker Mayfield is. I've never met this guy. And if you're Matt Rule and if you're David Tepper, how much longer are you going to wait for him to get better? You're and somebody made, this, somebody made this point to me the other night. It really, really sucks that Matt Corral got hurt. And I don't, th I don't think any of us had any idea that that was going to have as much of an impact as it is right now, because I think all of us, whether we were Panthers fans or not, were somewhat confident that Baker Mayfield could be the guy. But that's why Matt Corral was drafted as a failsafe um, and to learn under whoever the starter was going to be. So now your options are throw Sam Darnold back in there or let Baker figure it out. Or let P.J. Walker in there, too. He's He's been healthy this entire time. So, But, again, it, I'm so disappointed with this past Sunday's game. I think a lot of it also has to do with the fact that it was the keep-pounding game, honoring Sam Mills, who was just inducted into the – National Football Hall of Fame. He had the classic font in the end zone. Yep, midfield yep. logo as well. It, it was a great. It, it was a. It was a great day for the Mills family, and the fact that the Panthers could not. It was a banner day for the franchise yeah, until was, the game started. And the fact that that this team couldn't, you know, win for the Mills family too. I think that also is, is disappointing against an Arizona Cardinals team who the Panthers have had their number for for a number of years now too. This is, uh, I mean, this, again, again, the same Cardinals team Panthers have done very, very well and played very, very well against over the last few years. But, um, I mean, you know, where do you go from here? And on top of that, Jeremy Chin, one of our captains on the, one of the Panthers captains on the defense, he went on IR today. Uh, on, and this will be, you know, this episode will be broadcasting on, uh, on Thursday. So yesterday, on Wednesday afternoon, he went on IR. You know, that's one of the top pieces in the secondary that we're going to be losing for at least four weeks. So nothing is going right for this team right now other than the defense. And, you know, part of me wonders how long is it going to take for upper management to make a move? How much longer are they going to be willing to wait? David Tepper, how much longer are you going to be willing to wait? Will, will there be a head coaching change? Will something else happen? Will Baker Mayfield be benched? If so, when's it going to happen? Because this fan base is tired of losing. This fan base is tired of watching this team lose the way that they are losing in an ugly fashion. You've got people on the Charlotte Observer writing articles 
about how anything is better than watching Carolina football right now, that's a problem. And it needs to be fixed soon. Very and soon. Just, and Brett, I I just want to kind of make this point. If you look, Christian McCaffrey only had eight carries that entire game against that's Arizona. It's just pathetic. I'm sitting here thinking, okay, well, it's a pathetic maybe number. Did, maybe Dunarlovsky's video kind of tried to make them want to change their offense a little bit with him. I don't know. But you can't let let the guy. It's a fair question to raise. Wait, what? It's a fair question to raise. Yeah, and I mean he. And I'm gonna I'm gonna just say, Brett, I sent you this. I sent you this yesterday. But uh, this, um, the Hurricanes played the played the Columbus Blue Jackets in a preseason game. They scored eight goals. And that is more goals that night than the Carolina Panthers offense has scored touchdowns through four games. So, yeah, I'm just, it's, it's, I don't, I mean, against Cleveland, there were glimpses of what this offense could do, but maybe that was just. Like we said, uh, we, we thought that week three was the, you know, the extent of the glimpses. We thought, you know, that was going to be the week that, they could build on and, and put everything together. But Josh, I think there's a lot of, a lot of the onus here has to fall on Ben McAdoo. It does. Ben McAdoo runs a very complex offense. As you know, Brett, he went his time at, at, at the green Bay Packers franchise for that, for all that, for all that. Uh, yep. all that time. Um, clearly it's at least for right now, it's not working. It's not working for this Panthers team. And, you know, if, you're, if your offense isn't generating the amount of points and the amount of production that it should be generating four weeks through the season, then that's a problem. And, again, as the old adage goes, you know, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. I get that. There's still, you know, a decent, uh, you know, a long way to go uh, in this season. But still, you know – Something has got to happen. Something has got to change, and it's got to change soon. By the way, this same Panthers team is playing a 49ers team that just whooped the defending Super Bowl champion Los Angeles Rams. Nick Bosa, uh, their starting defensive end, leads the league in sacks right now. He's going to be coming after Baker Mayfield and and you know going after Ikea Kwanu on that left side. So, you know, looking for a bounce back game. It may have to wait a week because this 49ers team is dialed in and um, this Panthers team is not. It's showing and it's extremely frustrating yeah. to watch. Yeah, yeah, the the worst next- possible thing, yeah, second Christian, but yeah, the, the worst possible thing right now for this Carolina Panthers team is to have to run into the buzzsaw in Burgundy and Gold that's about to run through there. Christian, go ahead. Yeah, and I just – I'm just looking at their schedule. So far, they sit at they're sitting at one and three. They play San Francisco, the Rams, and the Bucks in the next three weeks. There's a possibility they're one and six, and they're out of this thing. But they're out of the division race or the playoff race by Halloween. Yep. And that's just, I mean, and a team that we we all thought, if not, could win, maybe win the division, could at least finish second, but. Yeah. Now you've you've treaded water through the somewhat easy portion of your schedule. Now you are entering the gauntlet. Yep. You've got 
San Francisco, who's, who just dismantled the defending champions. You've got, after that, the defending champions. And then, who did you say that third team was? Tampa, uh, Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay. So you have Tom Brady. This team Good has luck. been 5-11. Last year, they went 5-12. and 12. So pretty much 5-11 and 11 the last three seasons. There's a very big possibility that this team may not even get to five wins this season. Okay. And then, I mean... If you look at after that, the next two or the next three games are against the, I think we can all agree, the surprising Falcons who are 500 for some reason. And we all wrote them off, but uh, Marcus Mariota has not written back. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, there's, they're starting, they're kind of like that that meme of the guy crying in the pool and trying to keep his head above water, but <laughs> the next three weeks... There's a chance they're out of this thing by Halloween. <clears throat> There's a chance they're sunk. Yeah, the, the skeleton it. sitting in the chair. <laughs> that's yes. They're the skeleton. Sir Purr will be the skeleton sitting in the chair by Halloween if this thing isn't corrected. We're not saying it's impossible that by some miracle of the imagination, Carolina could beat San Francisco at home on Sunday. Miracles do happen. Still, miracles do happen as I know very well as a Vikings fan. <laughs> but they don't happen that often to the Carolina Panthers. And if there's any team I would put money on there being a miracle, I don't think it's this one. It's it's sad. And Josh, there's, there's a lot more Josh could say than he's saying right now. Trust me. There's a lot more Josh could say. Um, but Christian and I, as, you know people who live here and, and, you know, root for the Panthers behind our own team. Um, sucks for us to watch our friends go through the perils of this again. You know, it's, it's, it's not fun and it's not fun to sit here and have this conversation every week. And, you know, it's, we're, we're running around the same, merry-go-round here this merry-go-round of mediocrity yep that's exactly we're, what i was thinking we're headed down the same the same track the same road that we've been headed down since 2017 this isn't fun anymore even the people that live here that aren't panthers fans like me like christian like uh alex who's a seahawks fan no one likes this no one's okay with this just like People who aren't Hornets fans don't like to see the Hornets do badly, just like people who aren't Hurricanes fans don't really like to see the Hurricanes do badly. We don't want to see the Panthers go 3-14 and 14 every year. That's not fun. It was fun for me in 2015 when I could go get free donuts every Monday after the Panthers won. That was fun. This right now, Having to will myself to turn the channel to a Panthers game? It's not fun. It's not fun. And Josh has said that this fan base is sick of it. Heck, people like me are sick of it. I want to see this team succeed. Because it's not fun to live in the area and in the realm of a team that 
is headed down the same path despite cries and pleads and all that of, please God, do something correctly. When every move you make backfires, there's a point where people start to get fed up. And we're now past the point where the fans and the season ticket holders are getting fed up. This this is no longer a, a keep pounding. This is a keep getting pounded until you figure something out. And it's sad. It really is. And I know we've run long this segment, but the three of us can't sit here and say that we feel good about anything with that franchise right now because we'd be lying to everyone. Um, regular football talk when we come back. Welcome back to The Score with Brett Wiseman here on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Back here on the score with Brett Wiseman on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Brett Wiseman, Josh Scott, Christian Henry, our producer Desmond Johnson, uh, Alex Wober, and uh, some others, maybe, hopefully, uh, coming on to join us next segment for the Major League Baseball postseason review. That is going to be fun. We have, let's see, what do we got this weekend? Uh, four series. Eight teams, all best of three. So, in three days, we'll, we'll we'll figure things out, which is a lot better than the one-game playoff things. So, um, Josh, thanks so much for coming on, buddy. We really appreciate it. Uh, Christian, let's talk some national football, if if you will. And, well, actually, let's go international in your Minnesota Vikings. Um, Will Lutz and Cody Parkey, I believe, had a pint after the game. <laughs> they had a brewski. Because they're yeah, now... That, that... Remember when Dan Orlovsky tweeted that he was vindicated because Jimmy Garoppolo ran out of the back of the end zone? Okay, first of all, Dan's not vindicated. No. Jimmy Garoppolo... Not vindicated. No, because Jimmy knew Jimmy knew he ran out of the back of the end zone. Oh yeah, and he stopped running. Dan Orlovsky and his forty-seven IQ ran out of the back of the end zone and then kept rolling to his left as if there was a more field to work with, or b as more field behind him to work with, or b more field to his left to work with. Not only was he out of the end zone, he was also out of bounds. Yeah, he... Anyways, neither here nor there. That was not vindication. Cody Parkey and Will Lutz, they now share something. They share share the double doink. Which, by the way, Will Lutz had just drilled one from 60 to tie that game. Yes. So there's no blame on Will Lutz. No. For going 60 and then going 61 to try and win it. When the Vikings had, how much time did they have when they got the ball back? About three twenty-five. Yeah, um, they had. 
yeah, I want to say about around three, somewhere around three minutes, maybe give or take, maybe thirty, give or take thirty seconds, and then um, and they they, they drained a lot of that clock. The the Saints got it back with less than a minute left. Yeah, they and got if it, it back. wasn't for that, yeah, if Greg it wasn't for that catch didn't. by Chris Olave, yeah, we wouldn't even be having a conversation about a field goal attempt. No, um, yeah, Greg Joseph hit a forty-seven yarder with I think. 24 25 seconds left and then the saints tried um tried the 61 yarder and the law and order song theme song played uh through dun, dun. yeah exactly played throughout uh tottenham stadium or whatever the name of the tottenham tottenham get it right blimey the green bay packers will be there this weekend they'll be taking on the new york giants That'll be, uh, fun fact here, that'll be the first time ever, Christian Emery, uh, that two National Football League teams have participated in a game in the UK in which both teams have had a winning record. It's going to be fantastic. Hmm. I did not know that. But the Packers were the only team that had not gone yet because they didn't want to sacrifice a home game. You don't sacrifice home games at Lambeau Field. No. Um, But... According to Aaron Rodgers on Pat McAfee's show on Tuesday, they had, with the uneven number of games in the regular season, nine home games. So the decision was made to sacrifice that one and get the London thing out of the way. And there's actually a a pretty large amount of Packer fans, not just in the UK, but in Europe. Uh, Aaron actually talked about when he went to Paris for a PSG uh, match. Because he's a big soccer guy. Um, he was wearing a Man City jersey during this interview with Pat McAfee. Not just because Man City came and played at Lambeau. Uh, but that, had, of course, had something to do with it. Um, Aaron went to uh, Paris for a PSG game and got stopped outside this random-looking bar. Turned out to be a Packers bar in Paris. Yeah, so they they're, were, they're everywhere. Yeah, there were... A- uh, the past few times they've played there, the Vikings have drawn a pretty, pretty good sized crowd there too. So, and I mean, I don't know if it's- you know, when when you watch these games, you you'll see, uh, pretty much every fan has a different team's jersey on. It's not necessarily the team that's playing, but yeah. like you said, the Vikings have drawn well. Um, the Saints have been over there like two or three times now. The teams that have been over there multiple times have started to kind of garner a following, but the Packers are the Packers. The Cowboys are the Cowboys, the Steelers are the Steelers, the Patriots. You, you get what I'm saying. The marquee franchises have their global following. Just like whenever Cleveland or whoever LeBron's with would go play in Shanghai, Chinese fans would fill up the arena with LeBron jerseys. There's going to be a lot of green and gold there because it's a landmark franchise. Um, just because that's 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 who people pick. But again, that's neither here nor there. Um Packers and Giants, it, I mean, that's, again, the first time any anybody with winning records has played over there. So um, it's going to be fun. It's still going to be a 9.30 a.m. kickoff, but, you know, it'll be the earliest I've ever had to wake up for a Packers game, but I'm not too upset about it. I'll actually be um, meandering around Charlotte Motor Speedway at that time. Um, I'll be there for the, uh, the Charlotte Bank of America Roval 400. Uh, so I got to get in there early and make sure I can, you know, get out alive 
with the traffic, but uh, that's going to be fun. Anyways, um, college football this past weekend. Um, we said NC State was going to do NC State things. That's exactly what happened. Yep. Fumble you're up on 10 fourth and 13. Good job. You're, you're up 10 nothing in that game. You are dominating Clemson defensively. And then I don't know. I don't know what happened. I don't know if somebody who I don't know if somebody put something in the Gatorade cooler over there on the NC State sideline. I don't know what happened, but a completely different and much worse team came out of the locker room in that second half. Yeah, it, they. I, yeah, I don't know what happened. I mean, I missed. I didn't watch much of the first half. I was otherwise in, engaged, but yeah, it did just from I saw. Yeah, something just looked different. I don't know if it's the adjustment that Dabo made because if you give Dabo any reason to correct his game during the half, he's 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 gonna figure it out. He's the yep. Bill he's Bill Belichick on in that regard. He is college. Yeah. Um but yeah they just look kind of sluggish and then sure enough they had things happen. I mean the only receiver I remember them hitting or Devin Leary uh complaining passes to was uh Carter Thomas or something. I, I, I think that's his name in the second half. Right. And yeah. then he, um, then they go, go for it on fourth and 13, 13. to try to keep the game alive. And they fumbled the snap. It's, it's, it's this, it's state, it's state stuff. It's state yeah. stuff. Like yeah. that's, that's and just going to be a term in the dictionary now. State stuff. Yeah. And they, this was probably NC, their, NC State's best opportunity to beat Clemson, but I mean, I and, and we, we and we said we said this going in. This is the most talented team Dave Dorn has ever had. If he's not going to beat Clemson with this team, he's not beating them with any team at NC State. So no. this pretty much proves our theory that if if Dave Dorn walks, we know why whether it's by by his own volition or if it's by choice. Because yes. if he can't do it with this team, he's not going to be able to do it with any team, for that matter. No. No. And one thing I remember the uh, uh, the guys on the call mentioning was the um, the fact that DJ... Oh, last name here. I'm not, I'm not even going to try to pronounce Scrabble. it because I'll, I, I butcher it every time. Uwilangalale. He uh, Scrabble. He, yeah, pretty much DJ Scrabble. Just call him that, whatever. DJ he, Scrabble. They, uh, he got more. They started trying to contain the Clemson running game, which look, you put eight to nine men in the box, and you like you saw in the game on the game winning touchdown or the one that put it out yep. of reach. You give him that much time to run in that much space, he's going to make you pay, and that's their running look, game. I. I had my doubts about him, and I still do to an extent, but he played not just a great game through the air and on the ground. He played an intelligent game because you said it. NC State started stacking the box and trying to stop Will Shipley in that running attack, and DJ did a masterful job of just basically maestroing those eight to nine men in the box into thinking 
it was going to the right and holding it as long as he could and then sucking them in and then just bolting. Whether it was that, whether it was getting outside the pocket, making plays, um, through the passing game. Um, just like I said, I had to enter a Tua Tagovailola re-education camp um, after he proved to me that he's actually really, really good. Um, I'm going to have to enter a uh, DJ Uilangalale, um I was wrong re-education uh, program because yeah. I I have been wrong. It's not the yeah, first quarterback I've been wrong about. Baker Mayfield's at the top of that list currently, but I'll I'll say I was wrong. I thought he was. I thought there was a good chance that if, if he struggled against Wake, which he proved me wrong, he was he didn't do that. I thought he was. There's no. a chance he would have gotten benched against Wake, but he. Yep. Well, we 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 know how the result against Wake Forest went, but yeah, he. Yeah, I thought there was a chance he would have been benched for whoever his backup is and not take and not bringing in the job, but I'll admit I'm wrong. I, I'm not, I'm man enough to admit when I'm wrong and I was wrong there. Speaking of Wake, they went down to Tallahassee and took care of business uh, against Florida State. Good job by them. Uh, good job in the run game. Good job in the pass game. That's a Florida State team that, that was a statement game for them potentially. And uh, they fell flat on their face, although they, Tried to make a furious comeback there at the end, but um, Wake Forest still really uh, staking their claim, Christian, um, that they're they're the team to beat in the Atlantic, not named Clemson. Yeah, I mean they, the I mean people talk about the coastal being a, but coastal being a mess, which to this point it's proven to be true. Given the it's, current it's, record, it's a time. mess, but not in the manner that a lot of people expected it to be. Exactly, it's not yeah. in a good way. Yeah, I mean, Florida State is. I'll admit, I I was surprised when they beat LSU. I'm surprised they're. I'm surprised and, they were there. They are where they are. Period. I mean, Mike Norvell's yeah, exactly. just completely turned that thing around. But yeah, they again the the Atlantic right. is just a it's gauntlet Clemson and right now. Everybody else. It's Clemson and then Wake and NC State are not that far behind. So, you know, there, there's climbs that have been made. Uh, Wake's got Army this weekend. Uh, App State, they got back off the schneid very quickly here uh, against the Citadel. Um, they got Texas State this week on the road. I don't know where San Marcos, Texas is on a map. It's a sold-out game, apparently. App's gone down there before and won. Texas State has apparently acquired more fans than they've ever had um, because I don't think they've had more than 5,000 people at any game I've ever watched in San Marcos. Uh, I thought it was a baseball school, but anyways. Um, speaking of baseball, we're going to preview the MLB postseason right after this. Welcome back to The Score with Brett Wiseman here on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. The party's going on. Thank God it's Friday. Wrapping up a TGIF Friday afternoon edition of the Score with Brett Wiseman here at Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Yes, it is October. Yes, it is spooky season. Yes, it's football season. But the best thing... Alex Wober is not just that October baseball is here. It's that for the first time in 21 years, 
Your Seattle Mariners are a part of it. I, I see you shedding a tear right now. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's honestly, a, it's a cool thing to see, you know, for, for baseball fans in general, not just for you guys. Um, for me as a fan of baseball, it's cool to see the Mariners back in this thing. It absolutely is. And I, I've been a fan of this team ever since I've had a conscience probably. And uh, it's, it started, the fandom started in about 2005 when I was about four years old. And um it's been a rough journey, Brett, and I'm sure a lot of people have already realized that. We're getting a lot of credit, and it's good to see uh, for how far we've come. Uh, you look like five years ago and look at where we are now. It's it's a constant gain of improvement with this club. You're spot on, head on, and you and me are the same in terms of fans since we had a pulse. Um, as a third generation Cardinals fan, I really didn't have, like, if I told my dad I was a Cubs fan, I would have been put up for adoption. Like there, there, there wouldn't have been a choice. I would have, you're gone. See ya. Bye. Right. Um, but there's something about a franchise like the Mariners being in the playoff in the postseason. There's something like the Toronto Blue Jays being in the postseason every time they're in it. And this is going to be, I think, maybe other than San Diego and New York, this is going to be the only one that I think for sure could go the full three games. I, I agree. That's my my feeling inside right now. Is That's how I've been feeling going up to this game on Friday is, is that I feel like it's going to be tough just because of the experience. You know, None, none of these guys have been there. So it's, it's a new feeling for everybody in that club. Um, you know, the one thing for me that I've seen the second half of this season is pitching uh, right. for the Seattle Mariners. And I think that's going to be pretty much the biggest thing going into this series because this is a very heavily right-handed Blue Jays roster, and, and we have a very deep right-handed bullpen. So it'll be very interesting to see. You know, hopefully – I'm assuming Castillo gets to start on Friday – with either Logan Gilbert starting the next game, maybe Marco, it's up in the air, I think, right now. I'm not sure if they've planned out who's pitching Saturday. Well, I mean, this is why you go out and get a guy like Luis Castillo at the deadline uh, to start game one of a best of three. You know, the the good thing is none of these wild card things are one game do or die playoffs anymore. It's a best of three, but this is why you go out and get a Luis Castillo um, for games and for moments and for starts like this. And behind him, you said it, um, Kirby as well. Kirby's been uh, fantastic for you guys. He was incredible the entire month of August, had insane stat line the uh, entire month of August, um, so much so that MLB The Show gave him a player of the month card. Um, that's how good he was. But you said it, heavy right-handed rotation, heavy right-handed lineup, Um Bo Bichette had a monster September uh, to carry Toronto to to have the home field advantage in this series uh, in the the two versus three uh, wild card. But take that into account. You also have um, really the only big left handed bat is Kevin Biggio. Other than that, it's it's Guerrero, it's Bichette, it's um, Alejandro Kirk, the catcher. Um, it, it matches up well for for Castillo and for. Kirby behind him, and then, as you said, dominant right-handed bullpen. And if you need to throw a lefty out there, 
who's not to say Marco Gonzalez can't go out there in a relief role? Exactly. Absolutely. The, the one thing, Brett, that, that really concerns me that, that we're on the topic here with, you know, a heavy right-handed lineup, talking about the Mariners lineup, it's scary because, you know, you know, J-Rod's been incredible. He's been out a couple games here and past the All-Star break, and he's back now. But, you know, we're, we are second. We were second after the uh, All-Star break in terms of home runs. Right. Which tells you right there we're very re- reliant on those. And if we right. can't smack the bat and we can't send balls out into left right field, I'm just not sure that they're going to be able to get it done since they're so reliant on scoring that way. They're good at hitting base hits, sure, but the real strength of this, you know, the bats is hitting home runs. And when the strength of your team is the long ball, um, that's not something that a lot of Mariner teams have had in the past because of the ballpark. Uh, T-Mobile Park is, I think most people can agree, a pitcher's park. Um, The good thing for Seattle is... Rogers Center in Toronto is a bandbox. It is a hitter's paradise. Um, it's evenly distributed in terms of the dimensions, and it's a controlled weather environment. So, and oftentimes there's a bit of a jet stream out to right field. Ask Carlos Delgado; he'll probably tell you that. Although he probably could have hit him 450 alone by himself. But that's a good thing <laughs> when you're going into a ballpark that's notoriously hitter friendly, um, and you're reliant on having a 750 team slugging percentage to win two out of three games. Absolutely. And and another thing that I've taken into consideration is that thankfully that, you know, being in the Pacific Northwest is going to be a plus it's travel wise, I guess, right. because they're, they're right there pretty much. Right. And they're not having to travel all the way across the country or anything like that. So I don't think that's going to have anything to do with it, like jet lag or anything like that. But no, I, I agree, Brett. I agree with everything you've been saying so far. It's it's going to be a battle. It's it's really going to be my, my boss is thankfully letting me go home early for the softball game on Friday uh, to go watch my Mariners because then he's going to go home at 7 and watch his Padres. Hey, Gail. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I, I'm excited. Uh, I'll be wearing full Seattle gear, yelling at my television. You so, better be wearing a teal jersey. Those teal jerseys, those those emerald teal oh, yeah. jerseys are some of the finest uniforms of all of sports. The only ones better are birds on the bat. <laughs> that's right. That's only right. ones better. Only yeah. ones better. That's right. And we'll get the we'll get to see the cream birds on the bat Saturday in game two. Um, your Friday slate, um, it's already underway. Um, Tampa Bay and Cleveland, that's in the books. Philadelphia and St. Louis, uh, that's in progress right now. Seattle and Toronto about to get going. Um, and then the Mets and the Padres getting going at 8 o'clock. Uh, tomorrow, it shifts around a little bit. Tampa and Cleveland still start at Game 2 of that series at 12.07. Uh, game 2, Seattle-Toronto at 4.07. Uh, San Diego and the Mets at 7.37. And then Philadelphia and St. Louis rounding it out at 8.37 Eastern, 7.37 St. Louis time. And then if necessary, uh, on Sunday... A 207 start for Seattle and Toronto, a 407 start for Tampa Bay and Cleveland. San Diego and New York would be at 737, as would Philadelphia and St. Louis to television assignments. Um, we're not going to say the game already happened that was on ESPN because Seattle and Toronto is on ESPN right now. Um, 
and of course we're recording this beforehand, uh, Philadelphia and St. Louis are on ABC right now. It's weird to say MLB on ABC. Haven't said that since, I don't know, 1978. Uh, San Diego and the Mets, that's on ESPN tonight. Uh, tomorrow and Sunday, almost exclusively with the exception of one of those if necessary game threes is going to be on either ESPN or ESPN2 because of college football. Uh, Tampa Bay and Cleveland, uh, 12.07 start tomorrow. Game two of that series on ESPN2. Seattle and Toronto on ESPN. Game two, see uh, San Diego and the Mets on ESPN. And then game two of the Philly-St. Louis series, it's uh, 8.37 on ESPN2. Seattle-Toronto, game three, if necessary, at 2 o'clock Sunday on ABC. Tampa Bay-Cleveland, if necessary, game three would be on ESPN, followed by the, if necessary, game three, San Diego and the Mets, um, which would start at the same time, St. Louis time, um, against the Phillies. That would be on ESPN, too. So those two would coincide. But I'm hoping... I'm hoping as a Cardinals fan, it doesn't come to that. Right. But we're going to we're gonna get some chaos here. We've got eight teams for two spots mm-hmm. each. One spot in each league. Because, well, I know we've got eight teams, four spots. Four, yeah. Four spots. So, St. Louis wins their division. The Mets don't. The Mets led the AL NL East for what, like 155 days. The Braves have led it for a total of eight, and now they get the first round by winner of Philly. St. Louis gets uh, gets Atlanta. Congratulations. Um, that's the penalty for being the worst of the division winners. Is you get booted to the wild card round. I feel like St. Louis matches up better against the Phillies than they do against the Padres uh, because the Padres have a little bit deeper pitching, um, and I feel like. From what I've seen when St. Louis has played both teams is St. Louis is able to wear down Philly starters, uh, Zach Wheeler specifically, who's expected to go in game one. Um, Both times they faced him this year, they chased him uh, before the fifth inning and had him above 75 pitches after three. So um, the first game they faced him was the game they hit four home runs in a row. Uh, in the same inning, the second inning in Philly on a, on a Saturday afternoon in May. So, team we know can hit, and this is the Phillies team that's, yeah, they have pitching. They don't necessarily have the stamina right now, and in October, that can that can make an impact. Uh, San Diego does, because they have a Mike Clevenger. They have a Joe Musgrove. They have a Blake Snell. They have guys that have not only, Blake Snell's pitched in the World Series. Blake Snell almost pitched single-handedly Tampa Bay to a defeat of the Dodgers in that World Series before Kevin Cash decided to lose half his brain cells and take him out of Game 6 in the third inning. But I'll go on a tangent if I talk about that any. Um, I don't think the Mets are going to have any problem with the Padres. Um, I think the Mets I think the Mets are pissed off, first of all. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and look, I'm, I'm not fond of the Mets, so I don't really feel good saying this, but... I don't think they're going to have any problem. I don't think Cleveland, or I, I, I do think Cleveland and Tampa Bay has a potential to go three. I think the two American League series, as we wrap this up here, the two AL series are a lot tighter and a lot more evenly matched than the two NL series. Because when you look at St. Louis and the Mets, the Mets were leading the NL East until a week ago for most of the season. The Cardinals wrapped up the Central 10 days ago. They've been, basically been playing spring training games against the Pirates ever since. Uh, and just trying to stay afloat and keep guys healthy. Um, 
And then you look at San Diego and Philly, who kind of treaded water down the stretch, and Philly skated them by the skin of their teeth, as did uh, San Diego. So um, when you look at Tampa and Seattle, those are two teams that have been in the thick of it all year. Uh, Cleveland, in, in my opinion, is not the better team here because they played in a far worse division. Uh, if Cleveland played in the AL East, Alex, they would have finished fourth. Oh, my gosh. That's like last year when the Mariners missed, barely, just barely missed, and would have won the Braves division, which is insane. It's just crazy how baseball works. But one thing I do want to get out just before is while we were on topic about the Padres and my boss being a Padres fan, I hear about it consistently. I think they're going to have a lot of trouble scoring runs, like like we've seen all season long. And I could see them getting – too owed. I very if, well. Could if see there that. is any team of the eight involved this weekend that is the most well set up pitching wise, it's the one with Jacob Degrom. He's going to go game one. Now, who's behind him? You don't know. But when you have Jacob Degrom and then Edwin Diaz as your closer, if you're down two nothing, two one in the ninth inning, and Edwin Diaz comes in with Tommy trumpets blaring, <laughs> can it? You're done. Just go home. Just fold up the pine tar, get the donuts back in the bag, warm up the bus. You're done. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and you and we. I was at the in our conference Carolinas meeting as a worker here at Francis Marion, and we were in the meeting when Juan Soto was traded to the Padres. Of oh, course, no. My boss went absolutely. I was in a meeting too when that happened, and yeah, I was. Uh, I saw Juan Soto traded, and. I got happy because I thought it was St. Louis, but now the hindsight being 2020, it's actually not the worst thing in the world that didn't work out because Albert Pujols actually woke up too. And he can make an impact in October for St. Louis as well because all the home runs he's hit to right. get to 700 have been meaningful. All right, we're, we're out of time. Alex, thanks so much for coming on and best of luck to your emerald teal green boys up there in Toronto. Um, they're in action right now. San Diego, the Mets coming up, and then four games again tomorrow. We got baseball in October. We got football, hockey, NHL starts next week. NBA starts in 10 days. The sports equinox is here because we got NASCAR playoffs too. So, all five, heck, MLS, six. Screw it. Sports equinox. You hear about all of it, even pickleball. Everything's going on. Everything, even pickleball. LeBron bought a pickleball team. We might talk <laughs> about pickleball. We talk about everything on the score. So tune in because we might talk about professional pickleball, which is a thing. Goodbye. <laughs>